Well, 2016, who knew it would be so different, right? <laughs> any different to last year? Have you noticed any changes? I wonder. But there, there will be things that change, things you're kind of anticipating, things you're not anticipating. Uh, we've got some changes in our family. My, uh, my son um, actually uh, got a job he didn't apply for down here. And uh, he's coming down in about a week, and we're really excited about that. And he bought a new car and bought a new TV, and he's also proposed to a girl, and he's getting married in June. How about that? I think 2017 is going to be a letdown for him. What do you think? But, uh, I mean, you just can't keep this sort of trajectory. But actually, one of the really cool things was that he called me last week and said, Dad, would you officiate at the wedding? And I thought, oh. I said, I don't know. I said, I think I'd probably cry. And he said, no, look, would you, would you really do it? And I, I walked my daughter down the aisle, my youngest daughter down the aisle, about three years ago, and that was pretty moving. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I said, just joking, I said, this will be a great opportunity just to throw in what great parenting you have had and all that sort of stuff. And he said, Dad, everybody there is going to know you. Don't try it, okay? <laughs> So uh, it kind of cuts both ways, doesn't it? But, you know, it's, it's really interesting as your kids get older and, and grown up, um, you start thinking about things at a time like this. What sort of parent, uh, you know, have you been? And you know, I want to tell you, Maria and I have been great parents, but not perfect parents. There's been lots of times over the years where I've got angry at the kids and I've said things, but I think because we're followers of Jesus, we've had to think through how we look after our kids and apologize, you know, all those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I really do think we've been good parents, but not perfect parents and made lots of mistakes on the way. One of the things I've always really thought was great is that every time I've wanted to kill one of the kids, my wife has told me not to. And every time she's wanted to t- kill the kids, I've told her not to. So we sort of, you know, balanced each other out a lot. But... You know, so, you know, generally I think we've been pretty cool parents, but we've never done this. Can we have a look at this uh, screen? Did you, did you read this story last year? It's about a French family who uh, left a toddler 100 miles behind after forgetting her while they were on a holiday. They were actually somewhere in France and they were travelling to the Riviera and they stopped along the way at a petrol station or something, got the kid out, filled up the car, got something to eat, and they drove. And uh, roughly about, uh, you know, 150 kilometres on, they had the radio on, and the radio said, somebody's just left a kid at a service station. And they turned around, and guess what? Their kid wasn't in the car. (laughs) So they turned back. You know, you read a story like that, and you think, well, you know, they're the most responsible sort of people. Yet, for all of us who are parents with a thousand things in our mind, we think, well, you know, yeah, I guess that could happen. And when you ask, you know, what sort of people are they? Every time you look up an article like this, you'll find a reference on the internet to another article, and that's this one. Distraught Prime Minister David Cameron leaves eight-year-old daughter Nancy in a pub after Sunday lunch. Poor kid was crying in a beer. No, um, you know, I mean, it was this incredible thing where, you know, he's there with his wife, and they've got their security detail, and everything like that's happening. And then... um, his wife goes in one car and he goes in another car and they both think that the kid's with the other person but the kid's actually gone to the toilet. And, you know, the headlines always make a big deal of the fact that it was in a pub and whatever, whereas, you know, a lot of pubs in Britain are very family-oriented places. But, you know, I mean, I guess like with this and the last one, it always makes you ask the question, 
Gee, they, are they deadbeat parents that would go somewhere and forget a kid? I'm sure nobody here has ever done that, for sure. But um, I think one of the most interesting stories is actually not one that comes from the media, but it's actually from the Bible itself. And it concerns the parenting of Mary and Joseph. Okay, let me just read to you a passage of Scripture. You're probably familiar with it, but uh, it's from Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 43 to 46. And this is what it says. After the festival is over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. The kid disappears for three days. Now, when you read that passage, if you're anything like me, and I think that passage draws you in to ask these questions. You don't know who to blame. Are they deadbeat parents? Or is Jesus the deadbeat kid? You know what I'm saying? You kind of read it and you're thinking, well, he's not like a toddler, is he? He's 12 years old. And actually, in their society, 12 years old was sort of pushing on to adult responsibilities. And so, when you look at that, I'm sure, like me, you start to wonder, well, who's really at fault here? And that's the question most people do ask when they look at a a passage like this. And let's just look at some alternative here. I'm just wondering what you think at this point, and I'll be interested to see what you think after a few moments. Now, is there a case for Mary and Joseph being like really deadbeat parents here? Well, if you look at that verse 43, we're told that, you know, I've kind of highlighted there. Is it highlighted on the screen? No, it's actually not. They were unaware of Jesus staying behind. And so you certainly get this impression that their parenting skills, you know, they're not really paying attention to their son. They have other sons and daughters, by the way. Um, We don't know how many, uh, etc. at this stage, but there were other kids that Mary and Joseph had actually had. And what we're simply told is that in the midst of them going on this holiday down to Jerusalem from where they live up in Nazareth, they certainly weren't paying attention to Jesus. You're kind of thinking, well, you know, that's kind of a bit scary. Maybe they're not such great parents. Now, what's also interesting is in the next verse, in verse 44, not only were they not paying attention when they left, a whole day has gone by and they haven't noticed where Jesus is. You know, if, if, if the police were talking to you and interviewing you because you've left your kid in the petrol station and, and you kind of said, yeah, for a whole day we didn't notice... You'd probably be saying bye-bye your kids in this day and age, wouldn't you? You probably would. So they're they're not looking real great at this point, do they? And um, we're told in verse 45, eventually, after a day, they go back to Jerusalem. And then in verses 46 and 47, we're told it takes them three days to find the kid. Three days. Now, I've been to Jerusalem I reckon it was a much bigger city when I was there than it was 2,000 years ago. But how big was it? How many places were they looking? Can you see what I'm saying? As you read this, if you read it from one perspective, it's easy to think, well, maybe these parents weren't really that interested in that kid. And he was, you know, just basically doing his own thing. But there's another perspective, isn't there? 
It's Jesus. What was he thinking? I mean, you often don't picture Jesus with Joseph turning around you know, in the chariot and saying, listen, any more of that and I'm stopping the chariot. You, know, you, you, you kind of have this idea that he's just really perfect and everything. But I'm going to talk about that in a sec. But is it possible that he was the one who really kind of messed things up? Look, when we look at uh, verse 43, and let's just read it. We're told after the festival was over, while he stayed with his parents... Uh, well, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they're unaware of it. Now, he's a 12-year-old. At 13, in the Jewish custom, he actually becomes like an adult. And yet, he's kind of not taking on the responsibilities that kids would be taking on that age. That, that's how you can kind of read it in one way. Maybe it's him. Maybe the parents are innocent. Maybe he should have said something. And in fact, there's a lot of reason to believe that may be correct because that's certainly what his mother thinks. And I want to tell you in our family, whatever the mother thinks is always right, okay? Now, <laughs> look at Mary here. In basically, in verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? She's pretty clear about the fact that he has been acting irresponsibly and inappropriately. So who do you think it is? Who do you actually think is at fault in this situation? I'm not going to ask you because I really hate it when people do that. Put up your hand. Okay, you guys are the dumb guys. You got it wrong. I, I really don't like doing that. But who do you think it is? What if I said to you it's neither the parent's or Jesus, but there's a whole different dynamic here working where nobody's really at fault at all. But there's actually something quite special happening which people don't understand. Let's go back to verse 242. What we read, we haven't actually looked at this verse yet, was when he was 12 years old, that's Jesus, they, that's his parents and the family, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, that may not mean a lot to you and me. But every year, Jews were meant to actually, no matter where they lived, go up to Jerusalem for three festivals a year. And even though it may not seem like that much to us, what this passage is actually telling us is that Mary and Joseph took their faith very seriously. You could get out of it, you could make excuses, but they went up to the festival and they did that all of the time, we understand. So that they're really presented not as being irresponsible people, but people who were really responsible in their faith. What we also see was in, in verse 44, something that we find harder to understand. We don't live in the age of the nuclear family. We live in the age of the family that's blown up. Families have fallen apart. But back in those days, family was the most important unit of life. And when I say family, I just don't mean the nuclear family like, you know, mum, dad and a couple of kids. The family was the extended family. They were the people that looked after you. There were grandparents and there were brothers and sisters and there were cousins. And seriously, if you invited the family over for dinner, you needed to cater because there are a lot of people coming. And so when we read in verse 44... We read this, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day and then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. 
the way they did life back then was they did it in huge groups of people. And as long as Jesus was with somebody, then he was safe, he was protected, he was being encouraged, he was being loved. And that's the way that everybody did family. A lot of places in the world, it's still the same as that. So this sense in which they didn't really care about their kid is actually not correct. They believed that he was part of this bigger group and somewhere along the line, whatever system was in place, just didn't work. But as for them being deadbeat parents, not at all. They were following the ways that everybody followed then and actually felt were quite responsible. And look at what they say to Jesus when they find him and here's what his mum really says in verse 48. She's on her edge here. I mean, imagine you love your child. It's three or four days in and you can't find them. They're in a big, bad city. Nobody knows where they are. And all of a sudden you find this kid and your mum, she is just trying to hold it together and she says, I've been anxiously searching for you. Sound like a parent that doesn't care? When I was a kid, my mum would say that there was usually a hiding on the way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They'd hug you and kiss you, then they'd give you a hiding. But there were tears and there was love. These are parents who really cared about their child. They believed he was with their company. They believed he was in the right place. And yet there's something going on that they don't understand. And here's this extraordinary dynamic You've got a 12-year-old. You know that he's God. He is. But he's also truly human. And as a truly human being, he is a truly 12-year-old human being. You hear what I'm saying? He was truly 12 years old. He wasn't 25 years old or 32 years old. He is a true human being and he's 12 years old. And even though he's God, he is truly human and they have to work together. I'll talk about that more in a moment. But this is what he says when his parents find him. He says this, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He, he wasn't being disobedient. He just thought it was obvious. How could it not be obvious to you? that this is where I would be. Why would you believe for a moment that I would be anywhere else? If I thought you believed that I'd be somewhere else, I would have told you. But I didn't for a moment believe you thought I would be somewhere else, so I just assumed you knew because it was so obvious. It's full of 100% sincerity. There's no fingers crossed behind the back. There is Jesus Truly God and truly a 12-year-old human being, just assuming that what is so obvious to him should be obvious to his parents. And if there's any doubt about his character or sincerity, look what was actually happening when they did find him. In verses 46 and 47, we're actually told that he's you know, in the temple courts and he's sitting among the teachers and he's listening to them and he's asking questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. This is a kid who is sincere. And what he's sincere about are the things of God. And he's totally, totally sold out for these things of God. And he just can't believe 
that his parents would not expect him to be here doing this. So who's, who's in the wrong here? Well, kind of nobody. His parents have done all the right things, right expectations. And then you have a kid who happens to be God. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to get your head around, isn't it? He's truly God. But in order to be truly human, it has to work in a way that's true. And so as a human being, he's 12 years old. And here's a sincere 12-year-old just assuming that adults will understand what is so obvious to him. Now, we've got the kids in church here today, and some of them are pretty clever. And I reckon some of them are probably listening to this now. And some of them are actually thinking, well, I'm going to go and do something. And when, <laughs> when my parents say, why did you do this? The Lord told me to do this. I thought you would understand. Don't try it, kids. You've been called out already, okay? This is different, okay? But the really important thing is this. We actually read in verse 49 and 50. Jesus actually responds to his parents, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But in verse 50, we read this. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus may be 12 years old, but he has a spiritual insight from God. And even as a child in his true humanity, he is certain, he has certainty about the sort of life that God wants him to lead. And it's a, it's a spiritual revelation. It's a spiritual revelation. And at this point in Mary and Joseph's life, no matter how wonderful Mary is, and we're told earlier on an angel appears to her and said, you know, blessed among all women are thou. She still doesn't get it. And she still doesn't understand it. Now, this is wonderful for us, and it's also difficult. Here's why it's wonderful. Jesus in his true humanity is exactly like you and me. And in his true humanity, he can hear from God. And he can know what God wants him to do. And he can go about it. And there's nobody sitting here who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus, who can't therefore understand with the Holy Spirit what God wants us to do with our lives. And so what we see here is that Jesus is like how we are meant to be. He's truly God, but he's truly human. Most of the amazing things you will see him do is he does through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is in every Christian. Not everything he does, but many of the things he does. And so when we look at this 12-year-old child who still has the immaturity of a 12-year-old child, and how do we know he still has the immaturity? Well, if we look to the next couple of verses, this is what we read in verses 51 and 52. Then he went down to Nazareth and with them, uh, with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He's 12 years old. He's got to get wiser. He's going to learn more. He's going to find ways through God to more appropriately act as he becomes a, my pen, as he becomes an adult. 
He's going to grow. He's going to get more knowledge. He doesn't know everything there is to know as a 12-year-old. And he's like us in that sense, isn't he? We have more wisdom to gain, more knowledge. But the thing that is absolutely clear about his life is he knows and he is certain about what God wants him to be doing with it. And if he had some more maturity and wisdom and he knew what it was like to be an adult, he would have said to his parents, and by the way, I'm going to be down in the temple as the father wants me to be. But because he's 12, he doesn't. And we don't take 12-year-olds to court, do we? Because we realize they're children. And he's a child. But each of us needs to stop and think, what am I meant to be doing with my time? What am I meant to be doing with my life? Where does God want me to be and what does he want me to be doing there? Because that's the purpose of life, to live in a way that glorifies God. And that's what Jesus was doing as a human being. He needed a bit more maturity, but he was doing it. Many years ago, when I was a a young pastor, I was just learning how to hear the voice of God. I was in a denomination that really didn't believe in that a whole lot, even though it was all through the Bible. And um, I was uh, actually pastoring in a church, and there was a minister's fraternal, which I used to go to most Fridays, and there were about 60 people who would go to this minister's fraternal. And so one day, as I'm trying to think through what does it mean to hear from God and all this sort of stuff and really know what he wants me to be doing with my life, this guy had been brought to the fraternal who was a person with a contemporary prophetic ministry. And so he was going around to each pastor who was there, putting a hand on their shoulder and saying, I have a sense this is what God is saying to you. Now, I was pretty confronted about that. I I didn't know what to think, and I was just trying to sort all of this stuff through. And clearly, out of that room of about 60 pastors in the town I was in, I didn't know all of them that well. I probably knew 10 of them reasonably well, five of them you know, pretty well, and about two or three were actually quite good friends of mine. And so as he's going around the room and saying things to people, I'm going, well, so what? I don't know if that's... How would I know if that's correct or right? But as he started coming to people I knew, this guy who was not from this country, had never met these people before, was just saying things and they sounded to be extraordinary. And and not only extraordinary, but accurate about their lives. And then he came and said things to me and it was was amazing and I was so overwhelmed and immediately I, I, I thought, I've got to get this guy come to my church. I've really got to get to come to my church and, and speak to some people. But because I knew the denomination I was in was a little bit shifty about this, for want of a better word, I just invited some friends from the church on a private sort of thing, and this guy turned up. And, you know, he, he, they were all happy to be there, and this guy is doing ministry, but all of a sudden, it starts going terribly wrong. You know? I've got buyer's remorse. <laughs> He comes up to a friend of mine and says, you have an amazing singing voice, but you just won't use it. God wants you to use your singing voice. I'm thinking, that guy can't sing. And then he comes up to another guy, and he comes up to this guy and says, you know, many years ago, the Lord wanted you to take the mission field, but you refused and you wouldn't do it. And the guy starts crying and weeping. And I'm thinking, uh, how do I actually phrase this resignation? (laughs) I was just thinking, this is terrible. I'm going to have to fix this mess up. And 
I don't know how I'm going to fix this mess up. Well, my mate, who basically has the singing voice, came up to me and said, okay, I'll start singing from now on. He's got an extraordinary singing voice that he had refused to use. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I won't have to resign after all. Um, But I come up to this other guy who is just weeping, and he is just a mess. I came up to him, and I put an arm around him. I said, look, I'm I'm really so sorry. I had no idea this would happen. And he just starts crying more, and there's snot everywhere. It's not a pretty sight, you know. And um, I'm just putting my arm around this guy, and he said, it's true. I said, what? He said, it's true. 20 years ago, I started to become a missionary. I was all about to go on the mission field, but I, I went and married a girl who didn't love Jesus and, in fact, didn't like him at all. And then I stopped doing that, and I've been living my life, and she left me, and it's all miserable. I'm looking at him, you a missionary? Uh, But yeah, God had put on this man's heart so clearly that that's what he was meant to be doing and that's where he was meant to be going. But he chose to do something else. And he'd lacked peace for about 20 years. But this prophetic guy had also prayed and said, but the, the Lord's okay. He's got another plan for you now. Now, what I'm simply saying is this. God has a plan for every life in this place. There are things he wants each of us to do. And it's not even a function of whether you want to do it or not, or whether you like it or not. Our task is really to have this certainty about who we are before God and what he wants us to be doing. And you may think, I want to do something so exciting. And he may have something really mundane for you. But at the end of the day, success in life is being like that 12-year-old boy, Jesus, who's truly human, like us, but also divine. And in order to be truly human, he lays down some of his abilities and glories. We see that in Philippians chapter 2 and truly becomes like one of us. He never sins, never. That's why his brothers probably didn't like him because he was never in trouble, except kind of here and then he's not. But as as a 12-year-old boy... He has that sense of where he's meant to be and what he's meant to be doing. Now, one of the differences between him and us, if we're older than 12, and if you're 12 here, yeah, keep listening. One of the differences is we have the maturity and hopefully the graciousness and the love to know how to sort of go about that and still do it in a way where it doesn't necessarily freak out everybody amongst us. You know what I'm saying? Because there are times where we can be so selfish about doing the things of God, which don't honor Him either. We have to find wisdom. But I'm praying that this day will be a different day for you, possibly, and particularly if last year was just another year of just floating around, not really being sure what God wants you to do. At this church, we really talk about being Jesus-centered and others-focused. What does that mean in your life?
And if you've got a commitment to find these things out, to move along the pathway we have, which takes you just from being somebody being interested into a friend, into somebody being totally sold out for Jesus. Are you that door of hope for Jesus in the fragile world? I just want to encourage you to make this a year where you you get down on your knees today and maybe you've been doing this and that's great. You get down on your knees and you say, God, I just don't want to live the way I've been living. If I haven't put my trust in you yet, Jesus, I want to fix that. I want to sort that out. I want to know what it means to follow you. But if you're already following him and you're further along the pathway, pray, Lord, I want to be serious about what it means. I don't care about the cost. And understand there is cost. But I want to follow you. And I want to do that. And I want to be where you want me to be doing what you want me to be doing. Now, do you have any insight that if everybody in this room was really serious about that, do you know what it would do to this town? (laughs) Do you have any idea what life will be like, not just for you, but those around you, if all of a sudden you know where you're meant to be doing what God wants you to be doing? You have no idea. 120 people up in the room, Holy Spirit comes. There's billions of us now. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And maybe you're sitting here thinking, little old me, uh, you've got to drop those ideas. You belong to God. You're, you're a part of the kingdom. You're a, you're a prince or a princess or a king and a queen within his kingdom. You're somebody who has been set apart for this very thing. And I want to encourage you. I would encourage you to say, okay, 2016, I'm going to go away and begin to pray and start talking to people about church, how God may want to use me this year. And for those of you who have been doing that, hallelujah, isn't it wonderful? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for coming to this world and even being a kid in this world all so that you could tell us about what it is like to follow you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that you could walk to Calvary as an adult so you could die on the cross for our sins and so by so doing, purchase a place in heaven for us and, and invite us into the family of God. Lord Jesus, on this day and in this year, Help us just to get down on our knees and to be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit about what you would have us do and to come to this church and talk to the people in leadership and say, hey, I want to serve. Can you help me find what God wants me to do? Amazing. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.